Can you hear me in the back? Okay, excellent. Good morning, church. How are we doing? We are a little uncaffeinated, decaffeinated. Are we a little, are we, are we recovering from New Year's and moving over and filling, filling the calendar change and the trauma? I don't know where we're at here this morning. Um, it's good to see everyone. Who is actually excited for New Year's? Okay, how many, how many are at least excited that it's not 2023 anymore? Okay, uh, I think I'm a little of both. Um, and I don't know about you, there is something exciting about, I don't know, like New Year's, the new calendar. How many of you, though, just started getting the date right of 2023 as you're writing it? And then you got to change again, and you're like, oh, like, and then for, it'll take you six months, right, to adapt. It's funny how we kind of get in a rhythm, isn't it? Um, well, if you've got a Bible, be turning over to Luke chapter 2. This is the fifth and final installment of the Death by Christmas story. No, it's, um, I, I, I'm, I don't know about you. I think I've, I've been really loving my Bible study. I've been loving digging into this and, and trying to get my, my head and my heart around what really happened, I think, during the Christmas time. And if you're anything like me, it often takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of repetition. i got to sit in something and think about it for it to stick. Um, so that's kind of why we're doing that. Someone told me when I first got here, I'm like, Jeff, can you just, like, just teach on something, like sit on something for a little bit. And then we taught on Judas for three or four weeks, and someone was like, could you pick something else? <laughs> that's not really what I meant. I'm like, well, that's what we got. So now we're talking about Christmas. Hopefully this is a little more encouraging. Um, but it's awesome. I've been encouraged. I hope you have too. I'm particularly encouraged this morning because my mom is visiting, actually, from the Seattle area. So if something is awesome, tell her. If something is terrible, give her the feedback. Help, she can help me out. Um, but it is great. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm particularly encouraged, but it's more than that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about it today. And as we've talked about the Christmas story, We've, talk, we've, we've kind of gone around, so to speak, a little bit of the nativity scene, right? We've talked about some of the characters, about Joseph and the Magi, and lessons from them about their character and about the way God works, right? We've talked a little bit about everything from the, the actual nativity scene, and the story is a little bit different, maybe, than we've, we've always been imagining it, or maybe the way it's been played out, certainly the way it plays out in most movies. It's not quite, uh, it would be tough to make a true-to-life PG version of Christmas story, Yeah because it's intense. There's so much going on. It's not fictitious uh, kid watercolor pictures. It's really intense. It's 3D. It's wild what's happening. And it tells us a lot about who God is and about what he's doing. Last week, we, we talked about Revelation 12 and Christmas morning, really from the perspective of heaven, which is actually uh, a little bit, it's actually a little bit hard to stomach sometimes. I got the feedback of Jeff, wasn't it a little bit war-centric? And I'm like, yeah, bro, that's the whole story. I mean, come on now. Yeah. And, and that's the truth of it is, is that I, I don't think we, sometimes we don't want a Christianity. We certainly don't want a Christmas with conflict, war, violence, a fight. And the truth of it is, is that is a little bit of that story. Praise God, it's not the whole story. But it's part of it. In fact, it's an important part of it. And it tells us, it forms us about the heart of God, his tenacity, his focus, his devotion on you and me, 
As Francis Chan would write about, he called it a crazy love. There is this insane, crazy love that God has for you and me. But if you're like me, we look in the mirror and often go, I don't think I'd love a guy like me quite like that. I don't think I'm worth it. But your creator would actually tell you different. And as we finish up this story, if we need a title, I'm terrible at this. AV guys are like, so what would you title that sermon? And I'm like, hmm, I'm going to let you pray about that, bro. Good question. Today, the title is, so the Savior is born. Now what? And I don't know about you, how many of us are the kind of people that like morning after Christmas, you're taking down the the Christmas tree, the lights, you're like, close this chapter, we're moving on. How many of us are like that? Okay, yeah. Now, Laura is fully committed to the pre-Christmas ritual, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I, like, I, should we wait a little bit? And we're like, nah. So, man, I tell you what, we had dinner the 26th, and baby, you're like, well, did we just have a holiday? You wouldn't even known. It, and in some ways, that's really great, right? It's refreshing to start anew and turn the page. How many of us are like, I still have my Christmas tree out? Oh, let's go. Yeah. Now, here's the, now, here's the honest part of family. How many of us in the first group are now secretly judging the second group? You drive by your neighbors, and you're like, oh, that, those are Halloween decorations. You just put lights on them, right? You, like, you, can't, you put red and green lights around your skeleton. It doesn't become like skelly claws or something. Yeah, we, there's something about this, right? We like our seasons. We like turning the page, right? We like moving on. And I think that's really great. Now, the challenging thing and the amazing thing is that I love the fact that we get new starts and second chances and we get to, we get to turn the page and start something new. I love that in God and I love that, that we have the opportunity to do that. I think we live in a world that is literally dying because it doesn't have that. But there's also this aspect with Christmas where for some of us, Man, the 26th, 28th, 30th, certainly January 1st rolls around, and the Christmas season is over. We're about, what, 10 days or so after Christmas, give or take, maybe 12 days. And the Orthodox Christmas is actually today. So depending on how you look at Christmas season, according to Gregorian calendar and all that other good stuff, the nerds among us are like, well, of course, bro, I, of course I know that. So in many people, it's, there's a fasting. It's been a season of contemplation and thinking about Christmas. But really, in some ways today, kind of the train's leaving the station on Christmas Eve. And where we're going to pick up the story is actually about a week after Christmas, in fact, the eighth day. And I want to catch us up and give us a little context. If any of us know Tony Giannis, my brother, he's like, what's the context, bro? This one's for you, Tony. <laughs> So where are we at in the storyline? We're going to back up about nine months from here. And about nine months before we pick this up, there's a conversation where Joseph and Mary are getting the news about their baby boy and about Mary actually going to be conceiving and having a child by the Holy Spirit. Remember, small town, you know, they're up in Nazareth. It's something like, I don't know, is that McPherson? Is that how far are we going out? I don't know. We're Salina, where are we at? I don't know, some small town in Everyone knows your name, and this ain't cheers, and if you get a a teenage girl pregnant by the Holy Spirit, shotguns in daddy's arms are coming out. And that's the news from the angel. And she says, let it be done as God wills. 
But that's only, the only thing that might have topped that moment is that just a few months before this, she's talking to her, her, her relative, Elizabeth, who is actually about six months pregnant at this point. And she's going to be having John the Baptist. She's an old woman. It, we're, we're back in like Joseph, you know, we're back in like Abram and Sarai. We're back in the Old Testament. She has been bearing a grief of not being able to have a child. And she's like, man, could I have had it when I'm 30 and not 65? So that is a long time coming, and that's happening nine months before this day. And for months, she's getting pregnant. The rumors are starting. She's in Nazareth. Families are talking. They're engaged. Haven't been together. Joseph's wrestling. The angel tells also Joseph, no, this is the real deal. Take her as your, your, your son, or take him as your son and go for it. Make, make it real. And he does. Maybe a, a couple... Then we fast forward, now we're a few weeks before this day, maybe a couple of months, and Joseph and Mary begin to walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And to give you an idea, that's a little bit like walking from Salina to Wichita. That's about a 70-mile trip, 80-mile trip probably by roads because it's, it's not as the crow flies. And she's six, nine, you know, six, seven, eight months pregnant. We don't know exactly when she starts that walk, but she's not walking full speed, if you know what I'm saying. All their property, almost certainly. This is probably taking a week worth of walking. And then when she arrives to Bethlehem, she goes into labor. We know that story. We talked about, man, they show up to Bethlehem, and there's no room, there's no guest rooms in the homes. And it's not that they're rejected by a grumpy old, oh, kind of Danny DeVito innkeeper with a stogie in his mouth out to the fields. No, that's not the picture. Actually, it's there were no guest rooms in the homes because they were so hospitable. And so someone puts them in their living room and takes care of them all. The shepherds get the news. They show up in Bethlehem. Hey, it's the real deal. And you're not looking in the, you're not looking in the palace. You're not looking in the Holy of Holies for, for the Messiah. You're actually going to be looking in a manger just like you probably raised in. And they go and they see him. And the Christmas story unfolds as we know it. And where we are picking it up in Luke chapter 2 is about a week after Jesus is born. And we're going to read the second half of Luke. And I'm going to hopefully put this in a little bit more context. Because I think it's important sometimes as we begin to study the Bible and as we think about this, and that whether you've been doing this, this is your first time and you're studying the Bible and it's the first time you're even studying things like this, or maybe making a decision to follow Jesus and, man, going for it, or you've been doing this for decades, we... What happens is, is if we're not careful, and we've talked about this, repetition will replace truth. And, the, and if you don't let the Bible paint the picture of God in the real story, culture is happy to paint it for you. And it's usually to make money off of you. And there's a lot of money to be made from conflict. And there's a lot of money to be made for pursuing comfort. But what Jesus' story is something so radically different and powerful, and I think it teaches us a lot. But as we pick it up here now, it's been a week, eight days approximately, and Joseph and Mary find themselves, well, we're in verse 22, and we're going to read this in the end of the passage. We're going to dig into this. I'm going to try to paint the picture chronologically. Let's paint the picture a little bit emotionally and get in the story, and then we're going to talk about a couple of takeaways. That's my hope today, and hopefully that'll be a good finish to this thing. We all together, does that make, make, make sense? Perfect. Let's start reading here in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, 
He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, quote, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And we're going to come back to those quotes and where they come from. This is coming from old, this come from the Old Testament law, Exodus Leviticus. Verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. So I want you to imagine, they're at the, they, they show up to Jerusalem at the temple. Now, we have gone from the eighth day, that he gets circumcised, getting, getting a fit, properly given the name Jesus. Then we're fast-forwarding another proximate month because the purification rites and that sacrifice happens on the 40th day. So what we've jumped is we've gone a week, and now we've gone about another month. Does that make sense? And we're not in Bethlehem, almost certainly where the circumcision happened, the local synagogue. They've walked about five and a half miles to Jerusalem, to the temple, and are now doing the full-blown sacrifice as it's been commanded. You follow now. So as we look at this, the sacrifice and the purification, now at the temple, in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem, but we're in Jerusalem now, called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and, on the, whole, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a wild call. What a wild dream that must have been, huh? Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the law, the, the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, You never have a weirdo grab your kid? <laughs> Can you picture this? Could you imagine some guy, I mean, holy... Not Holy people don't necessarily look holy from a distance. You know what I'm saying? They roll up on your kids and he grabs him. Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Can you imagine being in the court seeing this? Imagine Joseph being like, get your hands off my kid, dude. What's going on here? Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's not exactly the congratulations card from Hallmark, yeah? In verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Yeah, right? And she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. 
And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I want to explain a little bit what we just read, and then I want to plug this into the larger picture and help us to get our hearts about what's going on and imagine what it would feel like to be there. Does all that make sense? When we're stepping into this, so if you can imagine this geographically, Nazareth is in the north, about 70 miles as the crow flies north of Jerusalem. So due north, this would be, I don't know, something like Salina, right? Due north of us. Then you draw a line almost due south, about 70, 80 miles. Now you're in Wichita. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where the temple is. That's where they're in, in most of this passage. And then you go about five and a half, six miles, almost due south, a little southwest. That's where Bethlehem is. That's where Jesus was born. That's where the star shows up. That's where the Magi end up going. So when you visualize and you're reading this, you've got a almost ready to give, you know, give, you know, give birth. Mary and Joseph are, are, are walking all the way down north, the, almost the north edge, all the way down, not quite dead center, a little bit south of center, boom, into Israel, into Jerusalem. And then they walk through that to get to Bethlehem for the original, the, the original birth, you know, kind of nativity scene, so to speak. They've stayed there almost certainly with a brand new weak old baby boy and a woman that has just given birth. Now, we don't know how large his shoulders and head were. We don't know how the, we don't know how the birth went down. We don't know how healing is going. So is it likely that mom's like, ooh, let's, do the, let's be an overachiever and walk instead down the block to our local synagogue. Let's walk six miles to the Jerusalem temple to do the circumcision. Seems unlikely. That wasn't required by the Lord. What would be required is at the 40th day that the sacrifice was done at the temple. So we know for sure they were there. So in this week after, likely in Bethlehem locally, at the church, probably the first church service after he was born, we'd get him circumcised. Maybe they went to Jerusalem and came back. That's possible. We don't know. But it's happening all in this very small portion of time. And then we fast forward another month and we get here. What's happening in this passage? Mary's purification time, there's a couple of things that, there's two things that they're talking about. One is Mary's purification period where you offer a sacrifice and there's an issue of a lot, we would call it uncleanliness, which is actually an isolation in the Old Testament. If you are like me, I grew up in Seattle, radical feminist, had a pretty, I wrestled with a lot of things as I studied the Bible. One of which is the idea is like, what are we telling me that a pregnant woman is unclean just because she got pregnant and had a baby? What in the world is that about? Well, actually, if you wrestle with that, I would highly encourage you to look there's tons of classes online, YouTube, tons of people have done it. The medical evidences for the Old Testament is unreal. And the issue is when we talk about susceptibility to disease and infection, we talk about rest, we talk about what we're talking about is isolating mom for a complete period, even religiously. She could not go to church. Forget we are encouraging you to stay home. She's an allowed go to church. She's like, you're not allowed to come worship. Everyone's commanded to come. You can't come. Stay home. Rest. That's it. That's all you're doing. And you're like, what's the deal with the eighth day and the circumcision? When you look at the antibodies in the human body over the course of, from the day of birth, from the day of your death, the highest count of antibodies that you will ever have in the human body is on the eighth day. It is wild. 2,000, 3,000 years before we ever discovered something like antibodies. God goes, that's the day. 
You start looking at these details of the Old Testament, the hyssop tree, there's so much behind there. This isn't sexism. This is protection, and this is God's medical genius 3,000 years before we wrote the textbooks. And that's what's now happening, where her purification ritual, and this was according to Leviticus 12, 6 through 8. Now, what's interesting is we also learned some details. Leviticus 6 through 8, it says what you do is you go and you bring one lamb and a pigeon or a dove. That's the sacrifice. And those who can't afford a lamb, you bring two doves or two pigeons. And what's the portion that's actually quoted in Luke 2? Well, if you wouldn't go back and read Leviticus 12, you wouldn't know about the lamb. And what we learn about this is they're quoting the second part of this because they're poor. They can't afford a lamb but they don't come empty-handed, and there are no excuses. You don't see Joseph talking himself out of the required sacrifice. He doesn't go, well, he's not my son. He's, Jesus, he's God's. Why doesn't the father make the sacrifice? <laughs> Handle it. Or isn't he the one that's supposed to redeem all of Israel? Why does he need to be redeemed? There's no talking himself out of it. He takes it. It's amazing, and they show up, and they do exactly. They're just doing the basics. This theme is going to come through. But they weren't wealthy, but they didn't come on empty-handed. And the second thing that happens is that Joseph and Mary go to redeem Jesus. This is Numbers 18, 15 through 16, and five shekels is the cost. You bring that. It's, it's true for all of them. That's firstborn donkeys, firstborn sons, the whole deal. And it's the story according to Exodus 13. It's reaching back to the Passover to remember how God redeemed Israel and brought him out of slavery to Egypt. And it's these rituals like that Jason was talking about today. There are these rituals that help us to remember because we're prone to forget. I think probably forgetfulness might be our first sin. And we begin to forget, and God goes, no, you're going to remember, and whether it's your kids or your animals, you're going to remember what I did. You're going to remember the way I redeemed you and brought you out of Israel miraculously. And you're going to remember God's hand that did it. And that it isn't just a fantasy. It's not just a story that you and me are literally invested in. And that's all happening as they're in Jerusalem. Does that make sense, family? Because as you read this, if you're anything like me, I'm not a Jew. I didn't grow up knowing this stuff. I started reading the Bible when I was a young Christian. I was like... That's a shekel, man. I feel like that's a bad word. I feel like, isn't that, they just swear at you in German or something? What is that? No, it's a form of currency. That's what's happening here. And so as you see this, as you get to the temple, there's this story where they're there and people are witnessing this. They're hearing the words of Simeon. Anna's coming up, this old gal. You got these old, old people love babies, but this is a little different level. And things start going down. And I think what's wild to me is what happens here is what I want to do is I want to back up and not just talk about, so I'm trying to get here, is talk about not just this chronological timeline, but if you think about what they've been through. Now, this timeline chronologically is interesting. But if you shift gears and you get into this story, and if you can get your heart and you can imagine being them, could you imagine what it would would be like to be Mary and Joseph right now? Could you imagine what it would feel like? And And I think about this, and I think... You've gone from, and I'm going to replace some of this to kind of now emotionally think through as you've experienced this in the last year of your life. Imagine what the last 10 months of your life has felt like. 
And I think, man, about nine, ten months ago, maybe 13 months ago, you're talking with, with, your, with your relative that, that could not conceive and is now having a baby that's actually going to be, that's prophesied to be a prophet, which they haven't seen in hundreds of years, since Malachi, in fact. And a whole new chapter's beginning. And there's this hope, and the whole country, is, as they've read Daniel, they know the vision about redemption, they've read these things, there's an excitement, there's false messiahs that have risen, there's now new Caesars claiming to be God, and now what we're being told is that the Elijah is coming, the one that's going to announce the Savior is in the womb of your, your cousin that couldn't conceive for decades. Then you're, you see a vision, you get a dream if you're married, no, 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 you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. And you're Joseph going, what in the world? Are you kidding me? And the, and the angel comes to you and goes, no, no, no. Yeah, her job is to name him, is, is, is actually to have this kid. Your job is dad. You're going to name him the name Jesus. This isn't a family name. There's a different kind of a family you're being, proud, being a part of now. And Joseph's wrestling with potential adultery. The Holy Spirit seems unlikely, doesn't it? The rumors, the cost to his reputation and his family for saying yes to this because of a dream. And, he's, and he wants to just divorce her and break off the engagement quietly so she doesn't get stoned to death. He, he's a good guy and he's wrestling. And more than that, now she's with baby and now you've got all this thing. And now we're going to take this week-long walk from your hometown of Nazareth down to an ancient ancestral home because some foreign government is telling me I've got to sign up and they've got to get numbers on us to tax us. And they go. And they're in Bethlehem and they're wrestling with it in King David's lineage. And your wife goes into labor and you can't find a normal room and someone opens their home. And now you're imposing on this family with not just you, not a pregnant wife. Now you've got a newborn. She's having, she's having the baby and the whole village. You're, you're imposing on this entire village and their hospitality is legendary. And you're sitting there for, for days in the same family's house. You ever been over at your family for one day too long? You know what I'm saying? Oh, bro, another cup of coffee. Hmm. You need cream for that? You know, you know what I'm saying? The conversations, the tone. Mary hasn't been in a stable with Jesus. She's in the front room of someone's home, as we've all talked about. Angels show up, tell the shepherds, about this thing, and, they, and you get random strangers showing up bedside to look at your kid yet again. The Magi are not there yet. That's yet to come. Herod is not on the hunt yet. That's coming very soon. And there's one small few days after the birth until day that there's a slight calm before the storm. Could you imagine what you'd be thinking? A dream where we, re did we really dream that? Joseph, did, did we not, did we sleep together? Is that what really happened here? Did we get drunk? What, what, you know what I mean? You start doubting, you start trying to explain this away. Are we sure? What's going on here? What's happening? And then Joseph and Mary almost certainly don't travel up to Bethlehem, the 80 mile probably walk, you know, a week after her birth, to go up and circumcise Jesus in Bethlehem or Jerusalem? Almost certainly not. They probably would have done that locally. 
but you've got people that are talking and whispering. Maybe they're not, there's not the rumors in Bethlehem, but now you have the pressure and the anxiety. This guy's going to be the one that redeems us. And now the pressure starts. And maybe the only thing worse for some of us than the, dis- the crushing weight of disappointment is the anxiety of having to live up to impossible expectations. And they're there and they're walking and they're taking care and they're wrestling. They're pondering these things in her heart, it says about Mary. And then, and then they are there in Bethlehem for about a, a little over a month. On the eighth day, they circumcise him. They give him the name Jesus. Then it gets real as a dad. It's not Joseph Jr. It's Jesus. And things get real. Am I going to obey God's word and the angel's word or not? Am I going to do it or not? It gets really simple. And he does. And you're wrestling with identity. And as a dad with a son, and you're wrestling with names, and you're wrestling with lineage, and you're wrestling all of the, the, the wrestling. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be in this journey? And you still have a newborn. <laughs> and they're not on a sleep schedule. Baby Wise wasn't written in the first century. You know what I'm saying? Sleep training, I'm not sure that's happening. I'm sure Jesus slept beautifully, I'm sure. <laughs> and on the 40th day, about another four weeks, Mary, Mary and Joseph go to that six or so mile walk up to Jerusalem. They offer the sacrifice of the two, the two, two doves, two pigeons. Do you feel embarrassed? I've got the Son of God with me. Seems like the Magi, many scholars think the Magi wouldn't have come because they wouldn't have brought, they would have brought more than two pigeons if the gold and myrrh and frankincense would have showed up. They would have had the money to buy a full lamb, yeah? So likely, some scholars believe that the Magi haven't shown up yet. So they show up and they give their two pigeons. That you've, you're holding the Messiah, the most treasured, the most treasured thing that's ever existed in humankind, and you can't afford a lamb? I got two pigeons. I got my two doves here. That's what I got. But they bring it. And then they're back to Bethlehem. And that's somewhere almost immediately after that. They're now waiting, still expending someone's hospitality. Maybe days, maybe weeks later, the Magi show up with the gifts gifts, and they worship Jesus. Another reminder of this is not going away. Something bigger is happening. What's going on? This isn't my local small town community. This is international. What's happening? What's going on here? Then there's a vision that they get from a dream that Herod is hunting for Jesus, and they have to flee 400 miles on foot to Egypt. With a month-old baby boy, a healing brand-new mom, into the place where the Jews started as slaves. We're back to the wilderness. Now you're going to be political foreign refugees with no job, no way to raise. How am I going to feed my kid? How am I going to take care of my wife? Who's going to, what are we going to, where are we going to sleep? And at that time, three, well, we, we always pigged it as three. We don't know if it's three. A, a few wise guys from an eastern far land show up with both myrrh, frankincense, and wait for it, gold. And they flee the country. They immediately go. Maybe a year or two later is when they get the, the, in the next vision, which is that Herod has died. Come back, but don't go back to Bethlehem, where everyone likes you, loves you, and if there are rumors, 
they're positive. No, you're going back to your hometown. We got to face the music. And the fulfillment of him being a Nazareth is an un, can you imagine the weight and the reputation assassination that's happening to this young family for the next 30 years until Jesus goes into public ministry? Could you imagine what it would feel like, friends? What would you be wrestling with? Now, I want to make the note, there is one possible alternative timeline, and it's that the Magi could have showed up immediately before they went to Jerusalem. That is possible. That's about the only thing in this timeline that seems to be very shiftable. Maybe Joseph and Mary are preparing for the trip to Jerusalem, and that's when the Magi, the Magi show up right before they leave. Their bags are packed and got in Jerusalem under the nose of Herod says, no, you're getting out of here. That's possible. But we're talking about shifting the timeline a couple of weeks. But this picture, this emotional weight, do you guys, does this make sense, family? I'm trying to paint the picture more than just, we need to bring this thing three-dimensional. This isn't fantasy land, this is history. And it's really tough, and no wonder if we don't find ourselves in the story, and we don't just get the story, we don't get the story, then no wonder 8, 10, 40 days later, the only person that's impacted by the story of the, the birth of Jesus is Joseph and Mary. We'll leave the story unchanged entirely. But I think if we get it and we see it, man, we begin to see things and we begin to get transformed. What would you be feeling if you were in their shoes? What doubts would you have? I don't know about you. I'd be trying to explain this thing away. You know what? Maybe I just need to go confess and repent of my, you know, my, our adultery, make the sacrifice for sins. Isn't that a slightly easier explanation? For me, I like the explanation which I'm to blame and I'm responsible because I can repent and make the sacrifice and we move forward. I would prefer it to be at least guilt, at least be in my hands. I, know some, I don't know if some of us are like that where I'm like, I, well, I prefer that. I'll make the sacrifice because it's a clean break. It's a clean answer. But there isn't a clean answer here. It's control. That's exactly what it is. They don't have control here. What concerns or worries would you have could you imagine having the vision and going, you're going to Egypt, and I'm looking at my baby boy, and I'm looking at my wife going, How? my wife's still healing. There's no sitz bath in the first century. They, they, there's no medicine. I'm not, taking a, uh, I'm not taking a wet nurse with me. The med- <laughs> you want to talk about another medical evidence is frankincense and myrrh and their medicinal properties are legendary. They're known throughout the ancient world. Gold, how am I going to pay my bills and feed my kid? Isn't it ironic at the time that if I'm a dad wrestling with how do I take care of my kids, just guys just show up with gold? It's unbelievable what God is doing. What kind of future, what kind of disappointment would you be feeling as you imagined the story of being a brand new mom and what it would be like to hold your baby and what those first months would be like and breastfeeding for the first time or watching him walk. And you've, you've, you've written this story in your head and this isn't the story that you imagined. If you're Joseph, I wanted to be a young dad and I wanted to start, I wanted to teach him how to be a carpenter, I wanted to have him grow up. And Man, that Joseph, nothing but a good man. He seems to be a faithful dude, hard worker. He's a carpenter. Small town, good reputation, shattered, not because of his own sin, because of his righteousness. And I think what's so important, friends, is as we're looking in the Bible, I encourage us to go, it's important for us to get what's going on because I think what it does is begin to transform us. 
and we start to see and we notice things about Joseph and Mary. We start to see things about God and we start to get points that we take away that really do change us. I want to give you two points that are sticking out to me. And I want to encourage you to go back and maybe find some more. But I feel like for me, one of my biggest jobs, and I'll be honest, we talked about this morning. I want to thank the worship team and my beautiful wife. The newest addition. Um, she really loves to sing. She's got a phenomenal voice, but because of kids over the last probably handful of years, she hasn't been able to do it. So it's really cool to see her out there doing it. And, but I do want to encourage, and I want to say thank you. I probably should have said this at the beginning of this year. We talk, we've talked about this in 2024. We want to try some new things. We've got unbelievably positive reviews about Wednesday worship nights and about that. And we went, well, maybe that's it. as we experiment and try stuff, maybe that's a decent target to start with. And then we're going to try some things and go, we love that. Or, ooh, 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 let's get that off the menu. We're, we're going to try things. We're going to try songs. And I think as we want to not just be diverse, and we don't just want to be diverse in, in the color, the, 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 you know, the, the socioeconomic status in the church, we want to look like our community in the church, but we also kind of want the stage to look like our church too. But we don't want to just be a church for ourselves. And, I, and, and many of us have said, what are we praying for? We want this not just to be a church of, of Ken and Lannis or... Eric and Melinda's. We want it to be for Carly and Alex and Stephanie. We want it to be all ages and not just the people that are in this room, but the people that want to be sitting in this room and they want to find what we found. And that's and a part of that is how we worship. And changing those things, when things change, it gets a little uncomfortable. And that's all right. And in order to grow, we change things a little bit. So I want to encourage you. Of course, we love your feedback. We're also asking for patience and an engagement as we go for new things. And you can smile, sing out. You know what I'm saying? Just engage. You're like, I don't know this song. Well, go for it. It's great. It's actually great. But I think about this, and one of the things that we've been experimenting with is a little bit with me, even with the style in the last five weeks about trying to teach and preach as we try to drive our roots deeper, hopefully in your Bible study, so that we can take deeper things out. Does that make sense? Let's talk about two points I take away that I hope it'll encourage you. The first point I want to, well, that I think is that we have to redefine radical. We have to redefine radical. I don't know about you. Years past, I, used to, I kind of think, when you think of somebody who's radical in their faith or radically impactful, right, that are just heroic. I don't know about you. I, I mean, my, my son is four and a half. So, you know, every, everything's got a cape and tights and it's still okay. You know what I mean? I'm not necessarily interested in doing that. But Superman, Batman, you know, whatever. Spider-Man, all that's awesome. He's, he's, he's a little dude. It's great. But I think about that and I go, people with superpowers, of course you should do super things. Of course. But I think of, honestly, when I, I used to think, when I think radical in someone's faith, I used to think someone who would do something that was radical momentarily. You go out and you share your faith with 100 people or 500 people in a day. You just stretch yourself. You do something courageous, and that's amazing. Someone who would, who would grab a, a, a van full of people, and they drive across Texas to go serve King Katrina and go serve with, all of, you know, with people, and they, they give money and their time, and I'd go, and there's something about that. That is radical. That's amazing. Or people, I've seen people who are wealthy or even that weren't so wealthy, and, I mean, they sold wedding rings or they sold, they sold property, like it said in the Bible, in order to give to missions for Eurasian missions or South African missions or people that were desperately poor. Even during COVID, we knew people that wrote ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 checks so that there, weren't, there wasn't going to be staff people that were fired on the foreign mission field because the local churches were just trying to feed themselves. And I go, man, that's radical, right? And I think it is. 
Now, if you've got a million dollars sitting in your bank account, you think, man, $10,000 check is really radical. I want to challenge you. I think you've got to redefine radical in a different way. But that's not the kind of radical I think we see in Joseph and Mary. There's a radical consistency and a radical simplicity about their faith that is unbelievable. You look at Joseph. They show up to Jerusalem. And he brings the two doves or two pigeons for the sacrifice. Who commanded him to do that? That son was supernaturally born. He wasn't even involved with the process. In fact, that process meant he couldn't be with his wife for a while. I mean, he's feeling the sacrifice. He's feeling that this isn't my son, and I know it. He doesn't get my name. He doesn't have my blood. I'm not involved with this. This is God's son. But what does he still do? I mean, he still brings a sacrifice. No one's twisting his arm. He doesn't talk himself out of it. Mary's going to walk five, six miles. Then she's going to walk, Then I mean, well, she walks 70, 80 miles down to be in Bethlehem to obey the local authorities that would fulfill all scripture and prophecy. And then we get her walking to the temple. She's holding the baby. They're just, you look at this, and man, when we, there's a, there's a basic heroicness about their simple obedience. There's, a, there's, this, there's this toughness. There's this consistency. And I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't think that's very heroic when I'm the one trying to fight for my faith every day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You ever look in and go, man, I don't feel... Someone goes, oh, you're so heroic, bro. What do you mean? And I think we've got those people in this room. And now I think, sorry, I love these mics. These mics are like... I think I have odd-shaped ears. That's what I think it is. <laughs> I think every other human being, these things work correctly, and for me, they don't. But I think we've got examples of this in this room, and I think of Laura. I think, man, you, got, you get married, you're in the kingdom, you do it right. Then you lose your husband. Tragically. The whole church felt that, huh? That wasn't just, that wasn't just the family loss. That was a whole family loss here. And I guess, and I bet if we, could fa- if we could rewind the tape and we talked about every quiet time, every angry prayer time, every, every weeping, cry- when, the, when the, the prayers that were coming out of Laura, they're, 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 she couldn't find words as she's trying to wrestle with God. And if you could rewind that and she could see those things, do you think Laura would go, yeah, the, I'm being heroic right there. That's radical in my faith. I go, no, but man, when we... Forward that and we see her and Eric and the old Taylor Matt, he's like clan man, and they're they're back in Wichita. I feel like we hit the lotto. And I'm like, oh, Chicago's lost. I'm like, whatever, man. Aiden, baby. And I look at that and I go, man, as you're battling through grief and the prayer, and it's just doing the next right thing. And I look at that and I go, that's heroic. I know so many, I've got a list of people who have walked away for God for less. I'm just so glad you're here. And is there a single soul, Eric probably on the top of that list, is there a single soul that think the world would be better off if she was a little less radical and just left because of grief? Left her faith, left God. There's a lot of reasons to, a lot of good reasons. Everyone would go, we, we, we can relate to that. That's a reasonable reason to leave God, right? And I go, I don't think so. Because now when you, if you could see the end of the movie, 
we see Gavin here, man. We see Eric here. We see the family. I, just, I love this. This is amazing. And I think God sees the end of the story, and sometimes we don't. I think of Felipe, Felipe and I. There were a couple down in Sao Paulo that we were working with in our school of missions. Felipe and I were dating. Unbelievable couple, raised in the church. While they were dating, started, they were immoral. This story has been, they've shared this publicly, by the way. And she conceived not by the Holy Spirit. She got pregnant. Soon, you know, it's like, I don't want to confess my sin. Well, I'm like, some, something or someone's going to let you out of the closet. You better say something. It's going to get real obvious real quick in about six, seven months. So they come out, they talk, they confess. What's Felipe do? Felipe marries her. They repent. Come in front of the church and they apologize. They go, guys, I can't believe we did this. We didn't sin against God. We sinned against you. It's a whole family thing. I can't, we, we've been, you know, we've lied. We've covered this up. We served in a variety of positions. This is a young couple in their 20s, I think, at that point. Not only do they so radically repent in such an exemplary, inspiring example of how to repent, they now have come back in the ministry with their little daughter, Elise, Alice, became like best friends with their kids. We love them so much. Have done a brilliant job in the East region of Sao Paulo. That campus ministry, that young professionals ministry is beginning to explode. It is just reviving. It's coming online because their faith, they look back and they go, man, it, you go, man, I, there isn't a thousand people that were baptized. It's not Pentecost in the East region. No, no, it was radical repentance. And they were radically honest and they owned it. And I look at this and I go, man, sometimes we think, no, Jeff, you don't understand my past. You don't understand what we've done. You don't understand. And people still to this day have plenty of gossip to whisper about them. And has it slowed them down? Maybe a few days, but it'd be tough to find a day. And they're raising their daughter faithfully. They got a phenomenal marriage. And you know what? There's sacrifices that they've made to just be radical by doing the next right thing. think of my mom. My mom being here is like, well, of course moms visit. Yeah, that's true. And I wish there'd be a way to remove it, but I can't. My mom carries a lot of shame still because when I was really young, my mom got into drugs. And if you ever want to talk about the slavery of sin, that, that is more, there's probably nothing more clear than hard drugs. And so my mom and I didn't really have much of a relationship for probably the first decade. It was in and out. She was doing a lot of wrestling. She got clean and sober. I must have been my junior year, maybe, of high school, before I was a Christian. And that began to start some conversations and some time. My real wrestling match came actually about the first year I was a Christian. I started going, there's a difference between chatting, rebuilding a little bit of a relationship and genuine forgiveness and reconciliation in my own heart. And when I look at Jesus and I read these passages, if you don't forgive, you won't get forgiven. You forget, you're like, well, let's go ahead. What's the Greek of that? No, it's, that's what it says, baby. Like, you can't, there's no mental gymnastics out of that. And I got to stand holy God and goes, I forgave all of your sins. And why couldn't you work with your mom? Why, why couldn't you deal with this? And I remember those conversations and I remember the time at the lake and I remember those moments. And now my mom is like grandma of the year. She's, I mean, I mean, hip replacement doesn't stop her, uh, taking off work. And you know what? I'll be honest, because here's the thing. When you get into those kinds of things, when you say repent and take responsibility for the rest of your life, it's possible my mom might be working until she's in her 70s. 
There's no retirement fund. There, there are real consequences when you make decisions, yeah? But I look at my kids. You couldn't possibly tell them convincingly enough that Grammy was ever, ever in another life someone like that. And I think of, I look at my like, that, that's that's radical. That's heroic. That's inspiring. And I wish there would be a way to take away some of the sting and some of the shame of lost years, but you can't go back. But we can go forward together. And I look at this and I go, friends, that those of us in this room, I think some of us are wrestling just to get to church. We wrestle to sit down and talk with someone. And, can, and some of us have been wrestling with, I actually need I actually need to open up the Bible with a friend and get restored. I haven't been a disciple in years, maybe decades. I need help. And you know what the guts that it takes to sit down with a friend and go, can I, can I be honest? And I remember when we were actually down in, in Brazil, one of my right-hand guys, Kyle Fukumori, been a disciple years and years and years. And I don't even know if anybody knows it. And he grabbed me one day, and we'd been working together for a year and a half, two years almost. And he goes, Jeff, we've been studying the Bible with a lot of guys. I don't know if I really did this. Really. Can we talk, study the Bible? I, I think I need to be rebaptized for real. This is a full-time minister. He'd been on the mission field for five years. And I went, dude, that's radical guts, isn't it? And I go, and he goes, I, I don't want to be emotional, but I want to wrestle. And I got to, because I'm going to have to stand before God. And it's not about pleasing people. But if I didn't really repent and get baptized and I didn't get married to God, and I'm, I, I want to do this right. And, and we did. We started talking. And he was wrestling and praying and fasting. And it was something like midnight one night at our house. We filled up the kiddie pool, man. And we I baptized one of my best friends. And I look at us and I go, man, some of us are just wrestling just to, you be like, man, and I'm just trying to do the basics, Jeff. And I want to tell you, that is radical. Yeah. That's heroic. When we get up and we open our Bible and we read and we let God work in our hearts and you go, what is this doing? These layups. I can only imagine what Joseph and Mary were thinking when they went to the temple and they're making these sacrifices or throughout the years, how many Passovers with Jesus as a baby are they going to church? And Jesus is watching them. You're like, what kind of an impact does it make? Then you start seeing and you remember Jesus' teaching. And you see the imprint of their faith all over his messages. Is it any surprise that he would teach in Matthew 6? Don't worry about money, your clothes. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you. And that resonates differently from the mouth of Jesus, doesn't it? Because he watched it his whole life. His mom and dad just, it's it just God's faithfulness was shown all over their life. Amen. And you go, well, what does my faithfulness do, Jeff? What is my kids seeing me read my Bible? Or us being hospitable and bringing people into our home? Or just showing up on Sundays? Or just having discipling times and just confessing? What does that do? Way more than you realize. We have to redefine what radical is. That your consistency in the basics will be the beginning of a transformed world. And it makes you the kind of person that God in heaven looks at and goes, I would trust that kind of person with my very son. It's not the people that can raise the dead. 
that raised Jesus. It was the people that would get out of their bed and just walk six miles healing from pregnancy to go, let's do this the right way. This is what God wants. Let's honor God. And there's no, there's no real witnesses there to pat them on the back. But like Jesus said, we're just servants doing our duty. We aren't doing this for people to come up to me and grab me and say thanks. I'm waiting for my thanks when I enter the heaven, huh? Keep your thanks. I'll talk to God later. Thank you. I mean, thank me. You know what I'm saying? Let's take, we'll take the hugs. Take the gift cards or whatever. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But you know what I mean. Second point. Does that make sense, family? And that encourages me. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, I just, I'm not very heroic. I'm not very inspiring. And go and just do the next right thing, man. Get your layups. Get your nickels. Just get it. Just do the right thing. Do the basics. And God works with that. The second thing is being ready for the journey. Anybody ever gone bridge jumping? They're like, what is that? That means you jump off a reasonably good bridge into water from a high, from a high height. Anybody like that kind of thing? Anybody kind of like a, so Eric, there's like two of us, you know, and okay, Beth, okay. So we like, the, here's the premise. 30, 40, 50 feet above water, you jump a bridge and you go, I hope it's deep enough and I don't break my legs. Wee, like that's the plan, right? And if you're smart, maybe you went and dive, you know, you know a little bit and make sure it's not too shallow. That, that's the premise. And, and I just, I'm not a, I'm not like a big, like adrenaline me I, I just don't care for that stuff but I remember being there and I went to camp it was a YMCA camp people were all you know bridge jumping and I got up there and what, did, what are you supposed to do you get up there and then you kind of you go right, are we safe yep good Ding, and just go and I did that the first time and I was like oh it's kind of awesome all right and I, I went up and did it again the second time I'm like oh right, I'm good and then months later I'm out there with my uncle and family and it wasn't a lot of trust between me and my uncle to be entirely honest but I went up there, and he, 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 you know, he jumps off there, and I get up there, and, I'm, and what do I do? I look down, and I'm like, I've jumped off stuff that's higher than this, but what happens? You start, you start considering and calculating. You're like, mm, I don't know how many rocks are in there. Are there fish? Are there piranhas? I know it's uncommon in this part of the country, but maybe. maybe they, you, know, you start rationalizing. You know? And the truth of it is, when it comes to cliff diving, it's a little bit like our faith. You don't go when you're ready. There is no ready. Think about it. Prepare. Stand up there and pray on the edge of that cliff. Just keep looking. It helps you. No, it does not. It really doesn't. And if it's safe, then you go. And I just didn't. And I over, I, 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 there was a, like a negotiation. I, my, my, my uncle was like, I'll, I'll buy you like one of those, you know, this is when I was a kid. A no fear shirt. I'll get you, you know, I'll hook you up. He's trying to bribe me. Bribery won't get you out of that. There's no, there's no there. And sometimes that we are convinced in our faith that we have to get ready. And we'll go on the journey with God when we're ready. And you don't go when you're ready, you go when you're called. It's a little bit like marriage. But what it's really like is it's like our marriage to God. And it asks different, deeper questions. Like, who do you trust? Because if you cannot see the end, you can't see the impact, you don't see the whole board. He, he liked chess. I was a chess player. I liked playing chess. I was a nerd. I was a full-blown nerd, right? In high school, I was on the chess team. And they would tell you, see the whole board. What you would do is you would turn the, turn the board to see it from the other person's perspective. And then it, you're like, oh, my goodness. What a blunder. And God sees the whole board. He sees you, me, our hearts. He sees what's coming. He sees what's behind us. 
And could you imagine if Mary and Joseph got the vision and was like, we'll go when we're ready? They didn't know Herod was mustering the full weight of Jerusalem's power to hunt them down and would kill an entire generation of boys to get Jesus. They're not waiting to be ready, saved the Son of God. They had no idea the dangers. They had no idea what was at stake. This crazy, uncomfortable, unfair, 400-mile walk with a newborn as a young mom. Could you imagine, what, what would you be saying all 400 miles? Can't believe this, I've been sacrificing every year. Angel told me to do this. I love God, doesn't he love me? Could you imagine your prayer times in Egypt? <laughs> so unfair, oh, I should have never answered. I should have never woken up to that angel. You can just imagine, right? I'd be wrestling, I'd be bitter, wouldn't you? No coffee in Egypt, are you kidding me? You know what I mean, just wrestling. But I think what we've got to do is we've got to be mature enough to set aside that this ain't fairs. That I shouldn't have tos. This should be dealt with already's. This ain't my things. And we have these phrases, what we happen is we just don't simply want to grapple on that God is calling you for this journey. Why? I don't know yet. And you probably don't know either. But on the other side, it maybe, just maybe, is a story about saving the whole planet. You don't see the end game. You don't see the whole board, and God does. And the truth of it is, friends, you're already ready. And if you were jo Joseph, brand new wife, brand new mom, newborn son, son of God, mind you, no pressure, I'd already be thinking, what kind of family devos do you have with Jesus? You know what I mean? You're like, man, suit up, baby. I don't know what you do with that one. Uh, pressure. Political refugees. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, would, would you like to lead this morning's devotional? Thank you, Father. I will submit to your, you know, you know you're, like, uh, you're like, this is amazing. I, I don't know what you do. But you're a young dad. You're now a political refugee. I don't have a job. How will I feed them? And at virtually the same time, God has a mysterious, unexpected, completely unprophesied group of people show up with medicine and gold before you get a dream of it's time to flee. God has got you. God has got you. We see the faith of Mary and Joseph all over the teachings. Is there no surprise that Jesus would grow up being such a faithful, humble, courageous man that would become our Lord? And it's not just the hands of the Holy Spirit that are involved. You get the hands of Joseph and Mary too. Friends, the Spirit's working, and I think he wants to use people just like you and me. And I think if we're honest, if we were these, if this young couple, I think one word that would describe them probably, I'm thinking about a time I had with Jason this week. How do we feel right now, maybe as a church? How do we feel as a family? Fatigued. Tired. Can you relate to that? I think of us as a church. A little bit tired of the misunderstandings and the disconnections with one another. We're tired of the attempts at reconciliation and the need to forgive again. I'm tired of being misunderstood, labeled, talked about, and not talked to. Tired of the disappointments and the false starts and how many leaders and what's next and are you sure? Tired of feeling like, is, is this going to all fail again? Tired of waiting for it to feel like the church I've always known and loved. I'm tired of not being excited or proud to even invite my neighbors or my friends again. 
Tired of just not feeling comfortable or courageous to talk, feeling out of shape spiritually, feeling out of gr- the groove, feeling like, man, I'm, I'm having to do this again. Tired of feeling the weight, tired of needing to repent. Can you relate? I know I can. And I look at Joseph and Mary and I go, man, could you imagine the, the fatigue? But I think what's amazing is their miraculous, radical, consistent faith of just doing the next right thing. Friends, I don't know where you're at. If you're visiting with us, today's a little bit of a family talk, but also I think an encouragement to all of us is that we got to redefine radical in our own life. How is it going doing the basics for you? Just opening up your Bible and spending time with God. How's it just getting with someone and going, can I tell you what's honestly going on in my heart? How's it going just repenting? Just change. When was the last time you opened the Bible and went, I got to be different? God says so. Let me change that. No dukes up. No, no, no spinning. Just going, wow, yeah, I, I want to change. Hey, bro, man, I, I'm, I, I need to tell you about something. We, let's pray. Will you help me? What a refreshing thing it is. But we also, I think, as a, friend, as a group and as a church have to go, guys, we're ready for the journey now. And we've got some really cool plans coming this year. We're going to be talking in two weeks from now. We're going to have a little bit of our, our kickoff, uh, our year, kickoff yearly like church workshop. And you go, that sounds intense. It won't be that intense. Church will feel surprisingly similar. And then we're going to ask everyone, go great, go grab lunch, and then come on back. And we're going to have one time together as we talk and we dream together as a church on where are we going. And as we paint the future together and we think about that, we're going to be trying and experimenting some new things. God is taking on us on a journey. But friends, if we don't, if we want this to be different, things are going to be different. And we've got to be ready for that and going, it may not be our way, but I think God will lead us. And I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to be in Wichita. I'm so excited that as we study out the Christmas story, we don't have to turn the page and the impact of Christmas stop. Whether it's like Joseph and Mary, the Magi, the larger story, or even just Jesus himself. My friends, I hope as we enter into the new year and our train departs out of the Christmas story, that we continue to be impacted this as, and seeing the faith, the incredible love, and the vision that God has for you and me and our church in the days and weeks to come. I'm going to invite Jason to come on up and close our, close our service out. Amen, well, family. I think uh, 